you know, it's kind of a classic evangelical rallying cry of let's take the gospel to the nations type thing. And um, wanted to have this extraordinary life, so I decided to go into the mission field. Basically, it, it feels like people would rather me just check the box and say I agree with all these statements than to actually live differently and to live in a way that's actually helping people heal, helping people find freedom, helping people love others. I had to snap into this position of taking responsibility for life. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and re-construction. Season 2, Episode 6, Either Side of the World. Hi everyone, it's Kevin. We don't usually open up with commentary, but this week's episode is a bit of an experiment already, so it seemed like the thing to do. This episode actually began to take shape a while back as I was listening through calls we'd taken in for this season, and I was struck by how these two particular calls seemed to run parallel to each other. And then, after last week's episode, it seemed like now was a good time to follow it up with these two very interwoven stories. The reason why is that the issues underlying last week's discussion made me think of the topic behind these two stories in a new light. I began to think about some of the connections between injustice here in America and injustice all over the world. And I began to think a lot about the deeper well of disillusionment that a lot of American Christians can't seem to escape even if they do commit their lives to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm talking, of course, about missions. When I was in the pastorate, our church used to frequently host this organization that we were deeply involved with. And this particular organization was focused on what they called the 1040 window. If you've never heard that term, it's okay. You might be better off. It just refers to an area of the world that has a lot of people, a lot of poverty, and a lot of non-Christians. The term used matters less than what their representatives would say to motivate our donations. They would tell us about the extreme poverty and the sad mortality rates in these places, and then they would say, no joke, over and over again, that apart from our helping them to reach people, thousands of people every day were, quote, plunging into hell. Because, the pitch went, the gospel hadn't gotten there in time. Plunging into hell. Plunging. I remember thinking that was strong language and gross certainty even then. And the more I dwelt on it, the more it bothered me that God needed American money to send people into other nations to share a message so that God wouldn't have to send people to hell. Everything about that scenario seemed arbitrary and petty. And within this thinking, we were dependent upon joining and partnering with this organization to legitimize our commitment to our faith which we proved by handing over American wealth. And God was dependent on that wealth of the American empire to best save people on the other side of the world. And so, over time, it became clear to me that it must therefore be the American empire that was the real God in this version of the gospel. 
It was the only player in the scenario that wasn't dependent on something else, and which motivated everything. Its only purpose in the story was to heal and fix things, like a good god would do. I'll leave that thought there for now, and we'll pick it up later. But, as you know, the most serious of us, hearing representatives from organizations like the one I mentioned, didn't just give money. They gave their lives. They joined. They moved elsewhere. It's where we were told the best examples of belief in miracles could be found. It's where God was really doing something. But that's where we find our callers in this episode. Because the idea that missions is what it means to be sold out for God or all in with your faith, to the degree that it puts you on the front lines where the real miracles are happening like you always heard about and gets rid of the nagging disillusionment of those pesky questions and doubts that come with the territory of being so hashtag blessed as an American Christian, well, all that stuff people claim about missions, it's not always true. Hey. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Um, pretty, pretty good. Um, good. It's just I was actually just second guessing the time zones. Cause oh I'm always, yeah, I'm always doing that out here. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah. I've been I've been out in Hong Kong for uh, well, it's my fourth year now. So wow. I'm always calling friends back home and wondering all about the time zones. But... Oh my god, that's insane! I can't imagine. I and yeah. I. And I feel like I have a hard time when I'm in Eastern time zone and accidentally put something in the wrong, you know, yeah. at, at the wrong hour. I don't even <laughs> Just know. Yeah, I have it so easy. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for, for being willing to chat, for taking a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. So it's as you know, I mean, exciting I, for me too. As well. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful. And, and, you know, as you probably know, we've got 10 minutes. So just tell me, tell me your story. Hello? Hello. Okay. <clears throat> it is working and it is good. Nice. I have a cup of of lovely tea with hazelnut cream in it and so I'm all right. Nice. Good look at you. Okay, cool. So how do, where do we start? Well, that's uh that's up to you. I guess full disclosure to anyone uh, listening, you're someone who both I and Jamie I know know for sure in real life. So um, that's not always the case uh, with, with people we talk to. But yeah, um, so I I think I first started hearing your music a little bit later than a lot of my other friends because I didn't really become a Christian until I was about 15, hmm. and I had kind of come from a bit of a I don't know. My home wasn't exactly the safest place for me at the time. There's a lot of stuff going on with my parents' marriage, um, some infidelity, some things with my brother and some drug use. And so I was kind of looking for something to hold on to. Right. I guess we could start sort of the way we, um, we do in general. How about, how about just, uh, just let us know a little bit about yourself. Tell us some of your story. Okay. Well, um, I grew up in rural Missouri and, um, I had a great family, but I didn't really, we didn't have anything in common. Uh, and so I was like this indie rock, like emo rock scene kid that found Jesus. And 
so when I found youth group, it felt really like a family, the family that I didn't have at the time. And so, yeah, I really started listening to your music at that point because I had a couple of friends who are really into Cademan's call and I'm (laughs) like 90% certain there's probably some, um, EP where we put one of your songs on that we never paid royalties for. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's like hanging out somewhere in South Africa on one of the mission trips we went on. (laughs) No, that's, I mean, back in those days, especially we would even put in the liner notes that like for people to please make copies of the stuff. I mean, like, like, you know, like before piracy was, you know, a financial political problem, (laughs) <laughs> it was the only way we had a career. So that was, I, I yeah. absolve you of that. So continue. Yeah. <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess it related to that, like the youth group and the kind of Christian world I was a part of right. in that time was very focused on mission work. And so we were going overseas all the time and it was really instilled in me to, you know, it's kind of a classic evangelical a uh, rallying cry of let's yeah. take the gospel to the nations type thing Absolutely, and so sure. and um, wanted to have this extraordinary life so I decided to forfeit college and go into the mission field um, there was a lot of time in between those two things but um, along the way I <laughs> got myself into two different cults um, one was a church the other was a missions organization yeah, that was kind of put in my heart and um, went to college and uh, things, I guess, started changing for me when, I mean, I guess there'd always been something kind of buried inside of me that was starting to feel uncomfortable. And I guess the first time I remembered feeling that way was when my gay friends at youth group weren't treated the same as everyone else. Um, and that was something that you were aware of? Like it was it was out enough in the open that you were aware of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, did you, were you talking to them and you knew kind of where they were and then did you actually witness any interactions or did did you just kind of see it go down? Like how, how did that work? It's like, well, both of my best friends in youth group uh, came out to me at varying points in high school. Gotcha. I started seeing, you know, so in high school I saw them kind of, asked to step down from leadership or asked to not be as involved. And then when I went to college, I just kept meeting people from different backgrounds and mm. I got involved in a really conservative ministry, but there was still something in the back of my head just felt, it always felt like I had to choose, ironically, it felt like I had to choose between loving God and loving people all the time, which felt really stupid to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Aren't we supposed to do both? Right. But I kind of felt. Th- doesn't the one actually guide us to doing the other? Or exactly, exactly. And yeah. so I felt really at odds, and yeah, I am. Um, I think it was one of those threads that once you start pulling it, it kind of takes the whole thing apart. And it was a combination of yeah, seeing, feeling that tension within myself of how how do I want to treat the people in my life? Absolutely. Combined with you know, other little things like people telling me I can't serve a certain way because I'm a woman, different things like that. I just felt like there were so many limitations being placed on my life. And then I went through this grieving process of uh, 
grieving the loss of what I call interventionist God. And so today, uh, you know, I, I'm on this path of rediscovering who I am and coming home to myself. And um, yeah, I, um, I don't know how to say that. It's just interesting because even though I was very much deconstructing in college, I guess there was this part of me that just thought it would go away. Right. <laughs> and I don't know why this was my solution, but I decided to move overseas and work with a faith-based nonprofit. And I raised money just like a traditional missionary. And I came out here thinking that somehow it would fix my problems and I would mm. find a way because I was like, well... You know, it's, it's like one of those like raising the stakes <laughs> to force the it's like it's like if a marriage is in trouble to decide to have a baby it's like that's probably yeah. i get the instinct yes. but that's probably not the thing that's going to save it. it's going to make whatever is there worse uh, yeah. and, just, and just add pressure you know yeah and i i find that wait and so that's how you wound up I think overseas that it was like yeah so i wound up in in, in hong kong um but yeah, that's what that's and, what took you there was like kind of your doubling down? Yeah, it did. And um, I thought things would get better and that my questions would go away because I was like, well, this ministry is less conservative and they're more open. Yeah. You know, I was already getting in circles that were leaning more towards, you know, something a little less, in, you know, restricting. Yeah. But then, I don't know, it just, I, there are so many questions that just kept coming up. And then, um, Unfortunately, I got in a really difficult situation when I first moved to Hong Kong where I was at um, a very unhealthy church environment and I had a very um, like spiritually abusive relationship with the pastor at the huh. first church I was at. And so there was just a lot of um, very intense expectations being put on me. Yeah. And if I didn't say yes to him for something, it was like immediately there'd be social consequences for it. Wow, yeah. And, yeah. And so, I, I mean, I'm out now. I'm not there. Obviously, I'm not there yeah. anymore. But um, that kind of, I think that whole thing kind of sealed the deal for me because I'd already been so annoyed by the way that, um, you know, by the way that it seemed that there was so much restriction. And mm. then after that experience with the pastor, it really just kind of, I don't know, forced me to think about things even more critically than I had before. Hmm. Well, I like, I like the interventionist God thing. I think that I, that's something I immediately connected with. I think uh, that's, that's probably something I've grieved the same loss of. Can you unwrap that a little bit? Yeah. The, um, you know, I found Jesus uh, in this, you know, very charismatic, charis I call it charismania, um, worship culture where, you know, there's all of this dependence on a other being, you know, entity that's so interested in your life, that's so involved, that controls everything. Um, and you just totally forego, you just, you, you hand over all of these, like, 
all of our responsibilities we hand over to this thing that doesn't even exist for all practical purposes mm. and it gets us into a lot of trouble and it puts it's very problematic and um yeah i guess i hope i answered that right <laughs> i don't know if there's a right answer um i think i think yeah i think i'm getting it though like it's it's a lot of that the thing that always made no sense to me growing up in church, which was, which was like more and more, it started to rub me wrong that we were, we were kind of promoting this idea of God where God is super interested in all these mundane things and always doing magic tricks at our church services. And yet you, you start looking at the world around you and you're like, okay, but God isn't concerned with uh, natural disasters or famines yeah, or genocide or, you know, it's, it's always, it's a very selfish things. thing. Yes. Yeah. It's a very selfish thing. It's a very, uh, it's centered around yourself and and God giving you everything that you desire, right? And God having this lofty calling and vocation and plan for your life. Um, that has a lot to do with it as well. Right, which can be really paralyzing because if you continue to hold out for, well, there's this magic that's going to happen. It's been promised and, and preached and prophesied over you your whole life, like almost free of anything you might do then a bunch of your life whisks by and you didn't actually take control or do with it what you would have had you not been waiting on, you know, a train that wasn't coming. Yeah, and not only that, but, um, you know, there's this unhealthy submission to leaders in that world too because you place yourself amongst uh, people that you think are your mentors or are there to help you grow spiritually and they don't really know what is best for you. Only you know what is best for you. And so it's very unhealthy to just hand over very delicate parts of your life to people. Like you buy into this lie that they're also helping you along the path to your, you know, some call it like spiritual mentor or spiritual director. I mean, I, I kind of still believe in a spiritual director. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's really weird. I mean, I, you gotta understand I come from like two different cults so that was a big part of my story as well mm -hmm. are they larger cults or smaller cults uh well one was like a more pr like a private church so it was like a mom and pop thing i always refer to it as like a mom and pop thing because there was no elders or no mm -hmm. structure no de no denomination but the other one was a pretty large missions organization that um, i mean they attracted hundreds of students a year and they at one point in time had probably over a hundred staff. Wow. So it was pretty, yeah. So yeah, more far reaching there. Well, would you say your, like your, your moments of awakening, was that a more gradual thing for you or, or no. uh, it was an instantaneous kind of like revelation of like what the hell is happening? Yeah, it was really abrupt. Uh, I mean, because there were so many bad situations that were layered at the same time. I mean, I found out I was living abroad. I found out from a family friend that my parents had divorced. Uh, they were married 25 years, maybe. And um, I, here I was in a foreign country and like shit's hitting the fan. And I, you know, like there's so many things that go wrong with like the logistics of living overseas and then becoming illegal in one part of the world. So you're forced to take yourself and 25 others to another part of the world. Um, and, you know, and then all of these other per interpersonal things. I mean, we're short on time on this thing, but there are so many things that were layered at one, like at one time. And um, there was a poem that my then pastor had sent me, or a parable that my then pastor had sent me. It was a Buddhist thing. 
And um, that really opened my eyes to like this interventionist God is dead. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it never did exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I had to snap into this position of taking responsibility for life internally and externally, because I realized like God may or may not exist, but I have to be responsible of the outcome mm-hmm. of my life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. Totally. Wow. So was that an unintentional result of the parable or was, was the pastor actually trying to help you in that direction? Was it something that like they were realizing as well? <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, I think he, the whole chapter of the book was um, learning how to, to deal with um, sorrow and grief. But the parable itself, I didn't even read the rest of the chapter. The parable made, made me weep. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I just closed my phone and that was enough. So <laughs> that is I, funny. Just, I just did what I had to do and for the next few months. And as soon as I was able to make the first exit, I did. And hmm. yeah. Yeah, I actually, I had a similar thing happen with uh, a pastor who encouraged me to read Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz. And, oh, yeah. Which which I would look back on now and just think like, okay, you know, like it's not anything particularly like revolutionary. But at the time, like from the evangelical subculture I was in, it was, it blew the lid off of everything I thought I needed to be and all every way that I needed to think. And I, I closed that book thinking, you know, you know, love is all really that does matter. And within two or three years, I'd kind of dismantled everything else. And you know, that was the, that was the big moment for me. I, you know, which I always thought was ironic that it was a pastor who thought, you know, Kevin might like this and, um, and sort of ruined my Christianity as a result. And so it sounds to me like I can very clearly hear your issues with and needing to set healthy boundaries with the, at least the institution of the church where, where you were finding it restrictive in terms of the your instincts to love people which seemed to be in the mission which was confusing and then since you've been there um your issues with and healthy boundary setting with the second of dealing with dealing with and being um hurt by um individual christians yeah but where does that leave you with the idea of an invisible all good and all powerful being who made everything Oh man, that is the question, isn't it? It is the um, question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, because sometimes it, it it all it all goes, you know, and so and yeah. But but, but, but sometimes, you know, because what I always want to be careful of is that, you know, I don't want people. I would never want to come off as though I or we, as the producers on hmm. on this podcast, are looking to evangelize anyone into disbelief. You know, like oh, I, I, I want to be. Cr- <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I want to be critical the way I think about it. And I'm also very okay with my friends who are not where I am. And, yeah. and yeah. I make no presumptions that even you or I are in the same place. And so I'm always curious to break those apart and then hear someone talk about the odd man yeah. out and see where they are. So I'm sorry I interrupted you, but so how do you feel oh, about no. that? Yeah, yeah. so I'd say, um, so I didn't work, like I wasn't even worried when I was questioning the first two components because I was like okay that's fine that's just my at first it was like okay this is just the American part of my Christianity then when I moved to Hong Kong my hope was that I'd find something a little bit different but then I kept encountering the same problems and so the second one started to be questioned the people that make up you know the institution and then yeah the short answer is that the third one um 
right now it's very much in in suspension like i don't really know how to explain where it's at like the closest thing i can come to really resonating with the christian experience right now is like i don't know seeing seeing god as maybe like some sort of source or energy that that has created the universe like you know i I think I cry more watching a documentary about the singularity than I do, right. like, I don't read the scriptures. So, I mean, I can't say, I can't compare it to anything because I'm not really actively right. doing a lot of Christian things right now. Um, but yeah, that's like, uh, it, it, my life is kind of a combination of feeling like either angry towards God, nothing towards him, or suddenly feeling like there is some sort of meaning and I'm just, I'm not quite aware of what to call it yet. <laughs> hmm. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good place. I and mean, it sounds like a place you don't want to yeah. rush off from because, yes. um, because you know, what, what, where we don't want to find ourselves is having not thought critically about it and, and, and have a good, um, way by which we can measure what rings true to us about it and then move on yes. to something too quickly that we'll yes. just have to deconstruct next year. Exactly. You know, exactly. I, I, I've heard, you know, people come on and kind of, I think I heard the reckoning call the other week and I was, right. I was sad to hear that people actually feel that, you know, you would want to lead people down a certain path because anyone like for, I was kind of thinking anyone who's been through this would know that you're you're not asking anyone to come with you and if right. anything you're like i wish you could like you know i wish you could skip from it's uh, richard Rohr talks about this there's deconstruction and like you know you have to kind of deconstruct before you can reconstruct and That's i think right. that we kind of wish we could just skip to the other part where we feel kind of happy on the other side with something right. different But having taken that responsibility, um, how long has that been really since that moment for you? Uh, it's been about two and a half years, three years. Well, what did, what, uh, like, were you able to find community like quickly or did you feel alone for no, a long time? No, yeah, it was a probably, I mean, that has been a very long t- process. That was probably a year and a half to two year journey of, I mean, I completely set the reset button. You know, I kept a few old friends, um, but it was very few. I, I very, very much refreshed my whole, like, set of friends, mentors, um, uh, everything. I mean, it, it all changed over time, but it was a slow process. And so what have, what have you been doing um, with that lately? Um, well, I found myself in a community called Imaginarium. So I, I, it's a community here in Nashville that is a spirit. Um, we call it a spiritual community, but it's non-religious and it's interfaith. So it's it's um, very diverse and unique, and it's very affirming to all faiths and sexuality orientations and gender orientations. Um, and our whole thing is just to change the world for the better. 
and uh, intentionally making that so. That's kind of our tagline. I kind of botched that, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, like I am doing this show. I don't know if it's okay for me to plug it, but oh, it's totally. called Failed Missionary. And basically, um, when I came out of the mission field, there was no resources for that kind of thing. I think today we have quite a bit of spiritual trauma resources, but I, um, you know, I always tell people deconstruction is one thing and I don't want to negate it, but like giving your life to a vocation that's built on all of those beliefs and losing all of it, that's a whole nother monster. And there's really not a whole lot out there. So, um, doing a show with, you know, my my co-host always revolve with people that were in missions with me and, uh, our goal is just to create content and help others uh, find their way forward, whatever it looks like to them. Well, that's important stuff. I mean, it's there's definitely there's definitely a need for people, even if they haven't gone overseas or anything. There's a need for people to hear some reality of people who are on the ground, you know, and seeing what those what those presuppositions carried overseas actually meant meant to people who lived through them and and trying to you know see them enacted on other people. I definitely feel the same way. Uh, even as someone who didn't leave America for that purpose, just because, um, you know, like the only, the only schooling I did after high school was Bible college and, um, really? And and, yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, another program as well that was kind of like a secondary Bible college, but like, that's the only thing I know. That's the only thing I've ever, you know, done. And so it's really hard when you come out on the other side of something like that. And in my case, you know, it was the conviction that like, I'm not sure the world needs another professional Christian, um, I'm not sure if we adjust for context with what Jesus was doing in his context, that Christianity even makes sense the way we're doing it. Um, yeah. you know, and so, and so like, that's hard though, because it's, you know, integrity is important and you want to do what you believe is right. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't have anything else. I didn't, I didn't prepare for any other life, um, yeah. professionally, you know, and that, that is for sure a hard thing. I understand that, you know, there's a lot of people who just keep quiet for years and stay in positions of leadership and and I guess you know in some ways may seem to be doing better but I I don't know I've heard enough stories now to know that like it it crushes them inside so maybe we did Yeah, okay. it's all fear-based, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It seems to me that that I and I've run in I feel like with a few friends who I've talked to about it I I, I feel like people like the idea they're okay with the idea of deconstruction as long as it a leads to reconstruction and and <laughs> yeah. and and a kind of one leads to reconstruction that includes God or Jesus. So it's like yes because what I feel like I've had a conversation with a few friends about is that when they say I've had a few people and even just like random people who will just kind of reach out and and they'll yeah. say you know I really I really hope that you come to a place someday where you reconstruct and you come whatever they, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to say. And I'm like, yeah. Or, and, and that you're happy again. Or the, and I'm like, listen, like I'm, I'm very happy. And I'm maybe that I'm right. I can t- and right. I can tell you for sure that I'm the happiest and the freest that I've ever been in relation to my spirituality. I can tell you that for Absolutely. sure. And I feel yes. like I'm pretty fully reconstructed. I'm just reconstructed without Jesus. And, right. um, and, right. and and that to them though is not reconstruction, and so I think that we exactly we, yeah we get hung up on how we the, the different ways we define terms and and just goes yes. back to prove how stupid it is that ultimately and and this is not unique to Christians this is everybody but yeah. how 
really ultimately we're we're more often in love with our with our terminology yes than we are with any ideas or any beliefs i think that people are so hung hung up on you expressing what you are going through or believing in their terms that they like and that they're comfortable with and if you won't then they'll continue evangelizing you about it um and uh you know but but i think even atheists or agnostics can 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 fall prey to that too, where they want to continue exactly. to evangelize you, so to speak, on on um, any of those worldviews, because yes. you're not expressing your particular brand of ag- of agnosticism, let's say, in a way that yeah. feels as airtight as where they've landed. And so everybody really does yes. this, and that's why yes. communication and the nuance of the meanings of particular words, like. I saw this great interview with Bob Dylan um, in the mm. in the fifties when somebody asks him this question. It's not even a heavy question. It's not a long question, but he yeah. says, "How can I possibly answer that when every word in that question you and I have different definitions of?" So exactly. Like, until you define, so literally go through every single word of that question. I want you to define every one of those words before I even think about answering that question. And he yes. was probably being a young belligerent, you know, artist, but he wasn't wrong that. Exactly. The most important thing we can do in a preliminary way is talk to each other to the extent that we can safely have a a set of shared definitions. And then we can begin to have a meaningful conversation about where we do or don't agree or what rings true to you and and may or may not to me and and that sort of thing. But it's like, yes, but that seems to be the problem. Well, are you feeling more like less afraid then (laughs) as a result? Are you feeling more empowered day by day? I don't. I don't have any fear. I. I, I totally live a hundred percent as myself. You know, when I was a Christian, um, and I want to preface because I still love the person of Jesus, and um, so. But in saying that, I am not a Christian because of all of the baggage that that term carries, and I mm-hmm. have no ambitions in my life to reclaim that word. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Himself wasn't a Christian, so I don't feel a need to defend that word. But. Um, but and all that to say, I you know what like I got out of that culture of trying to assimilate to a certain thing, and um, you know I'm three years into just learning how to love myself, and so I, I have no fear. I don't I don't care what people think of me, and um, in a good way, you know. Like I do care if I'm an asshole to people, but I don't care what they <laughs> think of me in regards to like my. Um, you know, sexual orientation or my religious beliefs or uh, any of that stuff. You know, I am who I am, um, and that's how I was made. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's awesome. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, it is definitely a new thing when you come out of a culture like that. Um, wherever you land on God or Jesus or anything, you know, I always say Jesus saved me from Christianity. Um, I, you know, I, I'm in the same place where I really still love the person of Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I just don't, I'm not sure Christianity wants much of anything to do with him, but, um, yeah, Yeah. it is, it is different entirely to get out of that system and then be fully embodied to actually feel like all of me is here, you know, um, maybe for the first time. And, uh, and I think that that is a, a great thing. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely agree. I think the other thing that I've encountered is, like this it's like within spirituality not just christianity but there's often a like a disconnect between 
what you say you believe and how that actually looks in real life. Mm. And I think that that's been the biggest point of dissonance for me with my Christian faith is that basically it, it feels like people would rather me just check the box and say I agree with all these statements that's right. than to actually live differently and to live in a way that's actually helping people heal, helping people find right. freedom, helping people love others, take care of the earth, things like that. That's and right. It, it's just mind-blowing to me that you would rather somebody feel dead on the inside and just agree with you than, right. than actually be alive. Yeah, like, like, like check, know, check, check yeah. the boxes, all of which align with the idea of life, but have no roots or fruit or green leaves on yes. them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm you trying to find that. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to be alive, basically. Yes. And <laughs> even yeah. if that doesn't, yeah, if that doesn't align with what people say that is supposed to mean, I really don't mind anymore. And I the, used fault to, might, the fault may not be with you <laughs> in that case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. It's really good to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. I, well, I, I really appreciate I'm sorry that we've uh, gone a little longer than anticipated, but I really appreciate your being willing to tell some of that story. And, um, and yeah, no you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm really grateful. We'll talk to you later. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. I, I, was, I, I would normally say I hope we have a chance to talk in person sometime, but I, it, uh, Hong Kong would be a long commute for a house show. <laughs> So, yeah, I'll let you know if I'm in Nashville. <laughs> please do. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. it was a real pleasure, and thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello again. I hope the little experiment weaving those calls together like that helped add to their resonance and how they paralleled, or at least didn't detract for you. Anyway, in our previous episode, A Reimagining in Three Acts, our caller brilliantly shed light on her experience of being black in America, and particularly within a white evangelical church culture. If you haven't heard it yet, you really need to. She's amazing. And for many of us listening to her talk with Derek, you can't help but hear her and think about how little time is spent in church amplifying crucial voices and experiences such as hers. And for that matter, how little time the white evangelical church spends taking seriously the issues of race within American society in general. Which sort of, for me, brings up the issues we did spend a lot of time on in church. The places that we did see the need for practical work and action. The place that we believed wholeheartedly that we needed to show up to be present, to move. Missions. It's a complicated issue. On one hand, aid and relief work is absolutely essential. And there are Christian-based organizations doing incredible work, some of which many of us remain supporters of to this day, something we believed in that was never threatened by our deconstruction. The best aid organizations are doing crucial work all over, 
and especially so within this very exploitative world economy that we find ourselves in today. It's an economy which has kept imperialism alive and which has allowed colonialism to persist and even spread. And we will always need charitable work to be done so long as there are systems at play necessitating it. But that's where we might hit a snag. It's hard for many of us in the West to admit that exploitation that we benefit from is still very much at the root of the very injustice that we now feel impressed to alleviate. And see, that part is sort of the other hand. So if on one hand, missions work is absolutely essential to the world we live in, on the other hand, a lot of us, and I mean that broadly, whether we no longer believe or still believe or have no idea what the hell we believe, a lot of us, beyond any current difference in where we find ourselves on the spectrum of faith, have come to the same disquieting realization. It's a realization that a lot of what's called missions work, and short-term missions in particular, can be little more than treating symptoms while refusing to even recognize a disease. Or it can become little more than poverty tourism, cameras poised in the slums to capture people and their lack of things. All with underlying assumptions in place that are seldom challenged. The assumption that we have it better because God led us into this unsustainable consumerism that we frame as essential to life. Or the assumption that our way of life speaks to our being blessed simply because we're more wealthy. Or the assumption that our fortunes have something to do with godly principles applied within a society and not the very exploitation that we're now showing up to soothe. A lot of it can leave you wondering what it is that Christians really mean when they say we're taking the gospel to the nations. If charity is us caring for those who suffer due to our way of life and offering them a nice afterlife, then our hands are lifting up the very people who were stomped on by our feet. In the biblical sense, if you're an Egyptian or a Babylonian, a Persian, a Roman, it's tricky. Empire is tricky. It leaves you with an idea so pervasive that no one even has to say it out loud. And yet it's constantly with you. This idea that, of course we have the good news. We bring wealth and power. And even amongst the most conservative Christians who distance themselves from the term, there always seems to be a ton of prosperity gospel at play. Effectively, a lot of us have noticed within Christianity that we weren't merely attempting to convert people to ideas about God or Jesus, but ultimately to convert them to the dominant socioeconomic and political narrative of our own empire, to the sort of world that we aimed for and championed out of nationalism or militarism, where it was always America first. For many of us as Christians, that was the true faith that we carried so unquestioningly that we couldn't help but evangelize it. We didn't even have to remember to try. It followed us everywhere, and it entered the air wherever we drew breath. In other words, you could go all the way to the other side of the world to pass out presents and do some drama presentations and maybe even lead some magic prayers. And in all of that, you could say, Jesus is Lord, and yet still make it very clear to everyone that you encounter that Caesar is. Because for a lot of evangelicals especially, missions has been an experience of religious colonialism, a manifest destiny on the world stage, with Jesus as its stated rationale, but it's a bait and switch, bread and medicine offered to those who will hear the pitch. 
the agenda of some eternal hell lingering behind everything, motivating the here-and-now work of justice like that was some sort of lesser concern. Perhaps the most eerie and ironic thing is that churches can talk about missions trips year-round and yet never honestly discuss what leads to the very conditions that require aid and relief in the first place. The greed of multinational corporations and wage slavery and the ethics of trade, these are not terms and phrases we hear much in white church. Instead, we were told that we were bringing the true remedy of the gospel to a greater sickness while seeing to the symptoms as well. But to many of us, in our unchecked ideas about empire and who we are, we felt a gnawing sense that we were ultimately contributing to a sickness. All while the sickness went undiagnosed among our tribe of claimed doctors. With one hand, we sign peace and hand out water. With the other, we oppress. With one hand, we speak of a better world in the next life. With the other, we contribute to this life remaining the way it is. I'm barely scratching the surface here. This is a complex ethical dilemma without a quick fix. But so long as there are people who do believe, and people who don't, and people who don't know what they believe, and all of these types of people can recognize these things and speak and be the truth to a situation like this, then there's hope. There's hope because it's going to take a lot more than just Christians or just non-Christians to move forward as humanity in any meaningful sense. We don't usually offer statements like this to sum up an episode with this podcast, but the reason I was reminded so much of this stuff in contrast to last week is that I think it's harder to see honestly in the distance when we've had such a culture of blindness up close. When it comes to love and justice, a people who run from it in their own home aren't going to be well equipped to perceive it in some far off country. The church culture most of us come from has been very slow at best to recognize its complicity in racial oppression here in America. So it would stand to reason that the same culture is not coming to grips with its complicity in distant lands either. That's the connection. For this religious culture, it's a culture that wants to make a difference, but out there, not here. We're meant to think that out there is where it's needed. Only don't go digging into why, because you might come to see the reason why is at work not just out there, but here also. That there's discrimination and inequity at play, even in how we've been told to engage justice. I think that, ultimately, maybe it's easier for white evangelicals and white non-evangelicals to play the role of white savior in some distant spot on the planet than it is to admit that we have some deeper questions to ask and deeper systems to uproot. That this is all connected and that we could greatly change our presence on earth all over whether here or there, on either side of the world. That's going to be it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I have talked way too much, so I will make the rest simple. Check us out on Patreon if you want to look into supporting the podcast. And patrons, let's dedicate some time in our Slack group to discuss some of the ethical issues that you're passionate about. We have an incredible group of human and planet advocates, so I would love to compare notes. The airingofgrief.com is still totally a thing. Also Facebook, at Airing Grief on Twitter. And that's it. We will see you next week 
after church for the airing of grief. Thank you.